This morning specifically, I'm going to talk about it all begins with a good question. My text is Luke chapter 11. I'm going to read the first 13 verses. And please join me as I read God's word. It says, Now it came to pass, as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased that one of the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. So he said to them, when you pray, say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us day by day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, as we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And he said to them, which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me on his journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer him from within and say, Do not trouble me. The door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. So I say... To you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it will be opened. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead or a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? In this text, there's three things that I see just, I mean, that jump off the pages at me. First is there's the moment of tension. Secondly, there's the test and the teaching of Jesus. And then last... There is this truth about relationships when it comes to prayer that encourages us to take steps to gain confidence, to gain courage, to gain experience in our relationship with our Heavenly Father. Prayer is communing and fellowshipping with God, which sometimes is like something we don't feel we're qualified to do. We're mortals, and who are we to approach God? Who are we to, you know, come and and beseech and, and look and ask and seek and knock of the Lord? And yet, the invitation, the instruction, the admonition, the examples, first and foremost, beg us, implore us, compel us to do all of the above. But before we get to the test and the teaching and the truth, let's talk about the tension. You know the moment you're with six people around the supper table and you're at a restaurant and everybody does this. You know what this means? It means the last one to do this gets to pray. So I'll hold up a finger, Shara will hold up a finger, whoever we're with, they don't know what's going on, but they might instinctively just hold a finger up just because we held a finger up. And it's an awkward moment for those that don't know because if they're the last one to hold their finger up, regardless of if they know how to pray, if they're a Christian or not a Christian, if they know God or don't know God, we say, guess what? You get to pray. Now, a lot of times we take the pressure off and one of them will say, well, you're the professional. Why don't you pray? 
But that tension, we've all been there. We've all felt it. You're in a small group, Bible study. And everyone's conversing. It's the moment before the Bible study and everyone's getting caught up on everyone's day and their schedule and their activities and how's your summer going and how are you doing? Is everybody healthy? And what have you been doing? Have you had any fun vacations? And it comes down to the hour where you have to start. And of course, you can't start an authentic Bible study without first praying. It would just be sacrilegious. But here's the, here's the tension. Who's going to pray? It's sort of like that, isn't it? <laughs> Silence speaks loudly. And everyone just is now checking the time. Oh, yeah, we got to... And uh, looking at the carpet, oh, yes, and now maybe someone starts another conversation about the menial things of life. Sure has been hot lately. Oh, yeah, and it's hot in this room right now. I'm telling you, it's awful hot. The pressure's on. Who's going to pray? So we've all felt that tension. Would you agree? Let's say you're a new Christian, and someone found out you're a Christian, and they believe that you went from a baby Christian to a full-grown Mature Christian overnight, which is an impossibility. Our children don't do it naturally. We don't do it spiritually. But someone found out that you had given your life to Jesus. Now you become the expert of the Bible, the expert on prayer, the expert on everything. And so your co-workers, your friends, your relatives begin to drill you with multitudes of questions about spiritual matters. And yet the most significant answer you can get is, like the blind man, All I can tell you is I once was blind, but now I see. I I don't know the books of the Bible yet. I'm not even sure that I know if there's 10 or 12 disciples where there, like, uh, there's four Gospels, I think, and then there's uh, a book called Acts. I know in the Old Testament there's a book called Job. Have you ever read that book? And 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 but you feel this tension, this awkwardness around spiritual matters, and yet honestly. Everyone is aware that spiritual things are real. And yet it's one of the most awkward and and sometimes, you know, pins and needles conversation or moment conversationally that we can have with anyone. Fear governs more of our conversations and what we like to admit at times. Our reluctancy to enter in, to participate, to take a step of faith sometimes causes us to pull back to withdraw, to be silent. And we've all felt that tension. So the disciples apparently had been watching Jesus and John pray for quite some time. They were on observation mode. And it's great when you're on observation mode because someone else is carrying the weight of the responsibility. They're breaking the ice. Jesus, you pray. John, you pray. And so... They were doing what they do, not to be seen of men, not to be heard by men, but because it was an expression of their faith to a faithful God. It was their heart to connect with the heart of God. They weren't doing it to get brownie points with God or to look spiritual or to act spiritual. They were doing it because it was in their heart to do. And you know, it's in your heart to do also. You just need some encouragement. So let's start with answering the question, hey, God, do you have a minute? Do you have a minute for me? Would you listen to me for a minute? Can I have 
your ear just for 60 seconds? Can I talk to you just for a brief moment about something? What do you think his answer is going to be? What is it? Yes. Then why don't we take a minute sometimes? It's that tension. Sometimes we don't feel worthy. Well, you know, if we've read our Bible half an hour, maybe if we've done some good deeds, helped some, you know, we did our Boy Scout duty of the day, helped our elderly woman across the street, opened a car door for someone, you know, uh, gave some money to someone who was sitting on a corner and said, you know, can you help me? I'm in a desperate time of need. And maybe we feel like we can approach God with, like a sense of worthiness. We've done something that now he's, he's proud of us. And since he's proud of us, he's, he's bound to open up and listen to us. But God doesn't hear us based on our works or how much you read your Bible, how much money you give to the poor, how many car doors you open, or how many people you walk across a busy intersection. He hears us because Scripture says he delights to hear the prayers of his children. He he just is uh, over the top, enthusiastically welcoming of you and I coming and communing and fellowshipping with him. That that's why Jesus prayed. That's why John prayed, because they knew that it was a safe place. It was a sacred place and that it would produce results. I don't believe that Jesus or John were putting their faith in their words. I think their words were an expression of their faith in God. And many times we make spiritual or religious activities or disciplines what we put our faith in. I pray so much. I pray so many hours a day. I give so much. I serve so much. And we're putting our faith in what we're doing and the amount of time that we do it instead of us just doing it as unto the Lord. You remember the story, right, of the religious man who was reciting maybe in a tone or a voice or even in a location of all the good things he had done. Lord, I just thank you that I'm not like everybody else. Who I don't know who everybody else was, but it was everybody but him, apparently. I thank you that, you know, I give and I... And, and this is what the Lord heard. Blah, 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 blah. And then there's this guy in the shadows. And he said, beating his chest... As a sign of God, hey God, do you just have a minute for me? I'm like in the shadows. Do you have a minute for me? And this is what God heard. Hey, do you have a minute for me? And God was like, yeah, I see you in the shadows. I feel your tension. I know it's sort of a new step because faith is a foreign language to the mind and to the flesh. Faith is a foreign language. You have to learn the language of faith for it not to be foreign. 
Anybody ever take Spanish in school or another foreign language? First day you showed up, were you fluent in Spanish or French? No, the first time that you pray, you got to break the tension. you got to break the ice. You're not going to sound like Billy Graham. And that's okay because Billy Graham didn't sound like Billy Graham when he first got started. Now, hold on. That doesn't make sense. Of course he sounded like Billy Graham. But as he kept praying, it was a new and an improved version of Billy Graham expressing his love, his adoration, his confidence, his trust, his hope in God. How did that happen? Somewhere the young Billy Graham who felt the tension had to break the ice. He had to work through his inadequacies. His sense of worth had to be placed in what God said about him and not all the good things that he had done. And it created a place where Billy Graham began to have right confidence in prayer, assurance in prayer. It wasn't always that way with Billy Graham. Billy Graham was really an unknown traveling minister that could barely get a crowd of 20 people together. And he was struggling with his calling. Am I even called to minister? And he settled that question in Southern California by going on a retreat, him and God. And he went up into the hills and into the mountainous area of California. And after a few days of seeking and calling and knocking, he came down out of those hills of California and started a small tent meeting in Los Angeles. The first night, it was comfortably full. By the end of the week, if you weren't there a few hours early, you weren't getting in the tent. He was on the front page of the Los Angeles Times. And news about this young, fiery evangelist began to spread like wildfire across the nation. What was the difference between the Billy Graham that was struggling and the Billy Graham that began to see success In ministry and fruitfulness, he settled one question when he was up on that mountain. God, does my witness and my ministry matter in the life of any other man? Does my testimony, my light make a difference in anybody else's life? And the part B of that question was, God, I will never question another day of my life anything that you've written in your word. And I will practice and present your word with confidence every single time I have an opportunity to stand before people. And that is why when you hear the old tapes of the Billy Graham Crusades, you'll hear him make this statement. The Bible says, and then he quotes the Bible. The Bible became his beloved text and prayer became an expression of life to him. 
And he went down with a newfound assurance and confidence that God would use a small country boy from North Carolina. And his ministry, probably without exception, has brought the gospel to more people around the world than any other man in our generation or our lifetime. So the tension. Now here's the test. Who's going to ask the question? There's 12 disciples. It said one disciple asked the question. You think they drew straws? They all, they all had the same question. Who was going to ask it though? Reminds me of the story of the two boys and they're sitting at the breakfast table and their mom had been teaching them a lesson about WWJD. What would Jesus do? Bought them the bracelets, the t-shirts, bumper sticker, got them the whole nine yards. And she wanted to ingrain in them some values and morals in line with Jesus' teaching and his ministry. So as her boy sat at the breakfast bar that morning, one of them grabbed the box of cereal and he shook it and he dumped the cereal in his bowl and there was only enough for his bowl and not his brother's bowl. And then you could hear the bickering between the two brothers take place and the mom was in the background and she said, what would Jesus do? And the one brother who had the full bowl of cereal looked at the other brother and he said, you be Jesus today. <laughs> you give me the full bowl. And that's the way it is sometimes. And who's going to ask the question? Who's going to break the ice? You going to talk to Jesus? You want me to talk to Jesus? You going to talk to God? You want me to talk to God? I mean, by this point, they've been observing him in prayer. And it's different than what they potentially had classified as prayer. Their, their prayers were probably not filled with purpose or passion. They, they, they maybe weren't even producing results. And yet it seemed like when Jesus prayed, heaven and earth came together. Something heavenly took place here on the earth when Jesus prayed. Something from heaven came and kissed the earth. And manifested in the earth. And after a while of observing, someone had to pass the test. We don't know who it is. It's an unknown disciple, but known to Jesus. And I think it's unknown because if it would have been someone specifically named, well, we wouldn't include ourselves in this. The disciple is the disciple is the disciple, which is means it's all of us. There comes a point where you and I have to, you know, be hungry enough from what we've observed and read and seen in the life of Jesus where we're like, hey, God, hey, 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 do you have a minute? Do you have a minute? I have a few questions. I, I, I need to learn some things. So the test is interesting because Jesus wasn't going to answer a question that no one was asking. Jesus was going to continue to be Jesus. Jesus was going to continue to pray. It wasn't until someone asked that he answered. Do you think Jesus knew the disciples felt the tension? Maybe wanted to ask, but didn't? You know, he didn't say, hey, by the way, if you guys ever feel any tension, 
don't worry, just come and talk to me and I'll answer any questions that you have. He, he didn't even, he didn't even make that invitation because Jesus was waiting for them to ask. I think he was ready and willing to teach on prayer, but only when his disciples were eager to learn. Here's something worth writing down. Motivation cannot be higher for learning when the disciples asked the teacher to teach. That was the highest form of Jesus being motivated to teach is when they asked the teacher to teach. Jesus' example inspired them to ask. The prayer life of our Lord prompted the disciples to press in and to ask him to teach them to pray. Jesus' example paved the path for them to ask. He created an environment by his example. We're inquisitive by nature. We want to know why people get results. If you've, you've ever seen someone who's successful, whether it's, you know, losing weight or getting promoted at a job or they have a successful marriage or they've raised terrific kids. I mean, we ask questions of those people because they've done something that we believe is noteworthy. Well, Jesus' example in prayer was so noteworthy that it created a path for the disciples to say, hey, can you include us in, like, how, do, how can we be successful in prayer? How can we have confidence? How, how can we pray and have assurance that heaven will come to earth? And then the test was, were the disciples, because they weren't really the disciples at this point in time, They were fans and followers. Were they going to, you know, move from the fan and following status to the disciple status? Or were they just happy observing Jesus pray? Oh, Jesus prayed. Jesus, you do the miracles. Jesus, you do the teaching. Jesus, you do all the work. And and we'll be there and we're your fans and we'll follow you. And and we might even go ahead and and, uh, of you and to certain cities and and promote you and say, hey, Jesus is coming to town. We'll be the marketing team, but I, I don't know that we want to be like in it. But no, that's not where they stopped. They didn't stop at fans and followers. They moved on to be disciples, which is a learner, a learner. You know, the petition of this one disciple was an open admission that prayer was not only needed by all disciples, but that he and the others wanted to be more than just observers. They wanted to be participators. The ability to learn begins with a good question and an honest admission and a desire to be taught. You know that there's dozens and dozens and dozens of questions that are in the Gospels that Jesus answered because someone broke through the tension, passed the test, and asked the question. Because they asked the question, aren't you glad we get in on the answer? Because they're the questions that we all have. So here's the truth. Jesus did answer the question. And I don't believe, and I don't believe you do either, that this prayer was meant to be religious, duty, a weight. I think it's more than just a template or a pattern. I I think it's an expression 
of two things. Of light and life. Because Jesus is about both. He's the light of the world. He brings light into our in, in, in places where we're darkened in our understanding. And he brings life to us, not rules and religion. Jesus came that we may have life. Now, I don't think there's anything wrong with reciting this. I grew up in a, a certain denomination. We recited it every time we got together. But for some people, the words lacked substance because they thought in reciting it that there was some inherent power in it. But they weren't mixing faith, expectation. And so it just became duty or obligation. It wasn't life or light. It was that time of the service where we do what's in the announcements, what's in the bulletin. Now, I'm not demeaning or judging or criticizing. That was just the reality that it, of what was happening in my life and in the church that I was a part of at that point in time was that I, I didn't see like light in life as a result of people just quoting something. And so there was more to it than just say these words. This is instruction. This is answering a question. This is Jesus bringing, right, the truth. He talked about really what we should be asking for. So let me summarize briefly because I want to get to maybe two of the most important aspects of this teaching before I close. All right. He he started off by saying, you know, if you're going to talk with the Father, you have to be respectful about it. You have to, you have to understand that there's protocol. You're welcome, but remember, he's your father and address him so. Our father. Address him with reverence, with honor, hallowed his name. Okay? And then ask for his will to be done. Your kingdom. It's about the kingdom. Talk about the things that matter to him. What matters to him is that his kingdom come and that his will be done. How? On earth as it is in heaven. Talk to the things that God wants to see happen. Salvations, baptisms, the infilling of the Holy Spirit, healing, deliverance. Ask him for the kingdom to come, the glory to come, the grace to come. Because when the kingdom comes, all other needs are met. Because all needs are met when the kingdom manifests in someone's life. Jesus even said, if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, everything else will be added unto us. Isn't it interesting? Sometimes we talk about, you know, our needs to the Lord, which he's going to address here in a minute. But that's secondary to his needs. It's his will above our will. It's his way above our way. It's his kingdom above our kingdom. So remember to show honor to whom honor is due. Honor the Lord. And then he says, feel free. Give us this day our daily bread. Just ask. Go ahead and ask. He'll give you that daily bread. And when it comes to, right, 
the issues of spiritual matters, relational issues, or sin, forgiveness is always available for everyone who asks. So ask. And then forgive everyone. You want God to forgive? You forgive. Forgive everyone and let them go, just as God is forgiving you and letting you go. And this obviously is about faith, not about feelings. And then he gets into, lead us not into temptation, deliver us from the evil one. Matthew writes, for thine is the kingdom and the glory and the power forevermore, as he concludes. So it's it's bookend, you know, this prayer has bookends with it. You know, it begins with God, it ends with God, and that makes sense to us as Christians because he's the Alpha and the Omega, he's the first and the last. So it always begins and ends with him. To him be the glory and the honor. And then, here is the truth that Jesus wanted us to know. He tells two stories, one about a friend and one about a father. I think this is, this is a part of the teaching sometimes it gets excluded, but it's part of it. Because after Jesus said, when you pray, say this, and then he gave us the way that we come is through the Father. The, what we want is about the kingdom. Our needs are met, right? He leads us around temptation for his name's sake. He gets the glory. And then he tells a story about a friend who comes at the most inconvenient time, but because of his persistence, right, he persuades his reluctant friend to get out of bed and give him as much bread as he wants. Jesus said, you've got friends. I've got friends. You're not afraid to ask your friends. There's no tension with your friends. You will stay on your friends till you get what you need from your friends. You'll bug them till you get them out of bed. You'll call them. They won't answer the phone. You'll call them back in two minutes. They still won't answer the phone. You'll call them back in five minutes. They still won't answer the phone. You'll call them back in ten minutes. You won't take no from an answer because that's your friend. And you're going to prove they're your friend because you're going to come to them at the most unfriendly time of their life. And they're asleep. And anyone who's asleep, wow, for someone to arouse you out of your sleep and says, hey, by the way, you got anything in the fridge? You're like, go look in the fridge yourself. No, you know, go, my friend, and you bring me your... Oh, here's what he says is, you all have relationships, you all have friendships. You're not bashful, you're not shy. You ask whatever you need, whenever you need it. The most inconvenient time, you bug your friends. Why are you having such a hard time talking to, here's the next relationship, your father? He said, your father's not, never going to give you anything bad. Your friend might get up and give you a fat lip, but your father, <laughs> your father, he's not going to give you anything bad. He doesn't have anything bad to give you. He says, as a matter of fact, you could ask for something bad and he can't give it to you because there's nothing bad in him. He's good. And he's good all the time. And all he wants you to do is come and ask and seek and knock. And it's all tied together. It's a beautiful way that Jesus brought prayer 
into our world and answered the question. Hey, God, do you have a minute? Yeah. You got a minute for your friend? Yeah, I got a minute for a friend. God's got a minute for us. I know I could call my dad. And as distant as we were at times, I could call dad and say, hey, dad, you got a minute? My dad would say, yeah, what's going on, son? I worked for a really, really well-known minister years ago. Um, And we were in a staff meeting. And we were talking about some important and weighty matters. And it was sort of a time in the meeting where, you know, everyone could have used a coffee break. And during that discussion, there wasn't even a knock on the door. In burst the pastor's three children, all of which are stair-stepped. They were 12 and 10 and 8. They didn't even knock on the door, just walked right into the staff meeting. Hey, Dad, blah, 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 blah. Mom's doing this. Can we have some money? We'd like to do that. And everyone in the staff meeting is looking at them. And all of a sudden, the pastor looks it up. He said, those are my kids. They can come in that door anytime they want, ask for anything they want. And I'm going to give it to them. Simply because I can. They had no tension, no apprehension, no worries, no concerns. They just plopped right into the office took over the meeting, talked to their dad. Why? Because that's the way it's supposed to be. So Jesus, when he was talking about prayer, brought it down to a friendship and a family matter. So you think God has time for you? Yeah. So I want to encourage you. Break through the tension. Be the one that asks the question. Understand the truth that's being, that's, and the instruction of the truth that's being given. And give God the glory. So it all begins with a good question. Got any questions you need to talk to the Lord about? Isn't it time that you had a little talk with Jesus? Told him about all your problems. Now he will hear you. He will help you. And we will give him the glory. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope that it encouraged or inspired you to God's best. If you have any questions about today's message, need prayer, or would like to learn more about Living Word Fellowship, please call 641 828-7119 or visit us at lwfknoxville.com.